Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nowhere Podcast. Technology is constantly running in the background of our lives, yet for most of us, it's invisible. On Nowhere, we explore the intended and unintended influences that geospatial technology has on the real world. These are the stories of how geospatial tech unexpectedly affects our lives. I'm Jonathan Neufeld, CEO of TechTerra and host of Nowhere. Today, my guest is Travis Riedelhuber, Managing Director with Rain Barrel. Hi, Travis. Thanks for being here. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to see you again. So Rain Barrel is an Edmonton-based company that works with advertising companies to help build audiences for targeted advertising. And we're going to talk about how you do that and the geospatial technology involved. But before we get there, let's talk a bit about how the mobile and digital advertising industries work. So can you maybe tell me and, and describe for me the, the general state of digital advertising? Yeah, absolutely. So digital advertising is going through a lot of changes right now. We're seeing a new focus on privacy, and this has caused the creation of new technologies as well as the, the sunsetting of some old technologies. We're also seeing more and more kind of regulatory action in a number of different countries that we always pay attention to. This is creating a lot of new opportunities for new companies to kind of come into this changing landscape and build products and build solutions that work for this new world of digital advertising that we seem to be entering. And it's also causing older companies to start to pivot. So with that, we're seeing kind of the emergence of some interesting new new players in the field um, as a response to a lot of these changes. Excellent. I think most people are familiar with cookies, but the use of cookies is being phased out, right? So what does this mean for the advertising industry? So in the advertising industry, there are a number of different ways that we build audiences, essentially. What an audience is, is the group of individuals or devices that an advertiser would like to reach with their ads. Audiences can be cookie-based. They can be mobile ID-based. And we'll definitely chat a lot about that one throughout this conversation. They can be email-based phone number-based, IP-based, behavior-based. So with cookies being phased out, what that means exactly is Google Chrome is by far and away the most used browser in the world. And they are no longer supporting these third-party cookies that in the past have been attached to your profile and essentially follow you around the internet to see what your interests and behaviors are. Companies like Safari and Firefox have already been blocking these for a number of years. So when Google Chrome decides to finally depreciate these, it's a technology that won't be applicable really anywhere. So advertisers need to find new ways to build these audiences because they have been very reliant on these cookies. And a couple different solutions that we're seeing is we're seeing new identifiers start to emerge. An example would be Unified ID 2.0, which is a solution presented by the Trade Desk. This one is hashed email based. So essentially, you would consent to this identifier being used, it would take your email address, hash it, um, encrypt it, uh, essentially, and then it could be used for ad targeting. We're also seeing kind of the reemergence of uh, first party data being a, a focus. And what I mean by that is that is the data that essentially comes from a direct relationship with an advertiser. 
So if you shop a lot at a specific store and you become a loyalty member, they will use that information you provided when signing up to become a loyalty member to tailor your advertisements. And I don't know if, if you've noticed this, but in the past year or so, you've noticed McDonald's really pushed their rewards program. A lot of companies are pushing rewards programs, frequent flyer programs, different uh, things like that in order to collect a lot of that first party data kind of in a response to the cookie identifier going away. I've seen that everywhere. People pushing their apps, their respond, their loyalty programs, their newsletters, signing up for discounts. It's all over the place. So I'm not surprised to hear that that's coming around. I know that Rain Barrel uses location technology to bundle together people into audience groups or audience graphs. And before we get to the specifics of that, I'd like to know how location-based technology is used generally in the digital advertising industry. I think consumers out there have some sense that their phone or their devices play a role in the advertising they receive, but maybe don't have a look into the transparency of how that goes about. Yeah, location data has really been a big component of, of digital advertising. Um, digital advertising has changed the industry substantially, and the location piece has been incredibly important kind of in that, that change. In the past, if an advertiser wanted to promote their business or a product, they would kind of be forced to use TV spots, which are expensive, but they're also shown regionally or nationally. Radio spots would be kind of at a city level or regional level at the smallest. Even print ads, those newspapers are going to be disseminated throughout the city as well. And because these older forms of advertising had so much reach, it, it made them very expensive for especially small, medium businesses. So with digital advertising and the ability to target your ads more granularly, this really democratized advertising in a way. Advertisers could be a lot more precise with where their ads were appearing, and they could really kind of pare down those locations in order to bring the cost to a point that they were comfortable with. So when it comes to location and digital advertising, there's a number of different ways that this data is, is collected. One way is IP address, basically the um, internet protocol address that your devices are connected to. There's going to be a location signal there. Another commonly used piece is self-reported data. So when you input your city or postal code or billing address on a profile, that information is used to locate you so the advertiser knows where you are. And another data point, the one that we use most often, is the mobile advertising ID. So each mobile device, whether it's Android or iOS, is equipped with this ID. And it's built specifically for advertising. It allows advertisers essentially to match their ads to a specific device that may have specific apps installed. So how this ecosystem works is when it comes to apps and publishers, they need to monetize their business some way. There are a number of them who will sell subscriptions or will put a price point on their app. This isn't available to every single app out there. Some don't have the scale to do that. Others also want to provide their app for free, so they need ways to monetize their content in other ways. One common way is they will put ads on their app. 
So when you're scrolling through the app, you might see that little banner pop up in the bottom promoting something. They're able to make money from selling that placement. Another thing they do to monetize their product is they sell the anonymized data. And their customers are typically different analytics firms or different advertising technology companies who look at these kind of anonymized signals in order to group these IDs into audiences that can then be leveraged by advertisers. So what we do is we will partner with these different apps and SDKs or software development kits who basically will provide this anonymized mobile ID data paired with some location signal, usually coordinates like latitude and longitude, and a timestamp. We go through those records and then we start to group them based on a similar attribute. So we will group all the ones that appeared in a Costco, for example, and then we can provide Costco shoppers as an audience to advertisers. Okay, so the apps on people's phones often involve a little bit of location tracking and a little bit of background monitoring, perhaps, to see where they are, what they're going on, what what they're doing. And then that information flows back into companies like Rain Barrel, who can use the signals from that to determine what sort of things individuals will be interested in. But from what I understand, that's all anonymized. So when you're looking at the data, you're not looking at that saying, hey, you know, John really likes shopping at Costco. Let's push him an ad for that. It's simply anonymized device ID. Yeah, exactly. And this data is all consented. So we don't use any data that's being collected without explicit consent from the user. If you have an iPhone, you probably see that prompt that says allow app to track um, across apps. That is the prompt that basically enables or disables this device ID that I'm talking about. The information we collect as well doesn't have any PII or personal identifiable information. So it's just a string of digits, coordinates, and a timestamp. There's no email attached to it. There's no name attached to it. There's no address. There's no anything that would be deemed personal. Personal is not attached to that ID as well. And, and so since it's all anonymized, there'd be no way to, say, de-anonymize that, to go back and, and track an individual's movements. You never have the ability to do that, correct? Yeah, that's something that is taken very seriously in our space. We like to treat these IDs as cohorts. So we look for some similarity, whether that is a specific location they visited or maybe a grouping of a couple different locations they visited. And we will add those devices to those audiences. If we start to see those cohorts getting too small, we know that we're not going to add any more attributes to them for that exact reason. We don't want to get into a space where we could potentially narrow down this ID to one of 500 potential individuals. We wouldn't know, but still, we don't want to narrow it down that much. So we like to keep our groups a minimum of a 1,000 unique devices. So there is no risk of identifying any individual within that group. 
I think that's a really good point to bring up because I know there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about mobile advertising and, and digital technology. And one of them is that, you know, your phone is tracking you all the time everywhere. And also that, that advertisers can build those groups small enough to micro target, right? I mean, micro targeting is one of the benefits, but at the same time, you don't want that group to be too small, right? So how big are the cohorts that Rain Barrel puts together and, and how does that speak to protecting people's privacy? The cohorts we put together are a minimum a thousand unique devices. That being said, it is difficult from an advertising perspective to serve ads to a group that small. There's not a ton of scale there. So our typical audience is in the tens of thousands, if not millions of devices, because advertisers really look for scale in their campaigns. They're investing a ton in the creative. They're investing a ton in the strategy. They want to make sure that they're able to reach enough people that they're getting the return that uh, they, they expect. Yeah, and I suppose advertisers mostly want to know who's going to their location or, or who shares similar traits, but they don't need to like find a Costco shopper who also goes to the bird store and the Toyota dealership every third Sunday morning, right? They, they don't need to be micro-niched at that level. Exactly. And you mentioned about the concern that apps are tracking people 24-7, tracking every single movement they make. On a mobile device, especially an Apple device, apps that pull location can only pull location that is needed for the purpose of the app. So if I'm an app developer and I want an app that is a better flashlight, I will not be able to pull location for that app because Apple will block that from the app store. They'll say, you don't need location for that app. That's not the utility. We're not going to allow you to pull the location from the operating system. Whereas if you are a weather app, you really only need that location pulled when you check the weather. Types of apps that will pull your location a little bit more frequently are typically going to be your navigation apps just because they want to be as accurate as possible to make sure that you are going to where, where you need to go. But these apps on your phone, every single one isn't pulling your location every few seconds, every few minutes. Depending on the app, it'll have the ability basically to pull your location as needed to require the service mm. that you downloaded it for. Interesting. Okay, that's really good to know. And I think the other question, too, is how accurate are those location points? In a previous episode, we talked about some frustrations with the accuracy of GPS on mobile devices. You know, for advertising, they probably just need to know what store you're in as opposed to, you know, what department of the store you're in. How accurate are the locations that you pull or that the device pulls? Sorry. So when it comes to the kind of technological limit of a device and the GPS and the phone, you theoretically could get down to about a five meter radius, which is pretty small. But that being said, we run into a challenge with something called drift. So the point at which your phone thinks it's at will kind of vary and float around a little bit, anywhere from an additional five, 10, maybe more meters as it tries to locate that location. So we don't build audiences with data points that small just because they're not very accurate. A device may be seen in one location, but it might not actually be in that location because it's just drifting in from another location. 
or we will try to build an audience based on that very small geofence, but all the devices are drifting out, so we don't actually reach that minimum scale that we need to reach. This is usually illustrated whenever you are trying to call an Uber, and you see your little point on your map kind of dance around exactly where you are. It has a rough idea, but it's not locked precisely where you are. It's, it's drifting and, and moving a little bit. So that's something we always account for whenever we're building our audiences to make sure that the areas that we add to the audience are large enough to account for kind of the, the movement of that device signal. One of the other themes I like to bring into this podcast is the way in which our values get encoded into our technology and how technology reflects the values of, of people creating it. You know, you've talked before about how all location data shouldn't be treated the same. Tell me a little bit about that. So in this space in the past, there hasn't been a whole lot of rules or regulation around it. And typically, when there are no rules or regulation, things can become a, a little bit problematic. This was also a practice that was kind of done in the shadows people's location was being tracked on their phones without them kind of explicitly knowing that. And this is beginning to change. It's definitely a change in the right direction. And it's definitely a change that we support. So kind of what we think at Rain Barrel is not all location data should be treated equal like it is today. There are some locations that need to be labeled more sensitive than others. For example, military bases, places of worship, family planning centers, things like that should not have location data collected the same way a mall might have or a sports arena might have. The, the purpose of those locations are extremely different and the data needs to be treated differently as well. We already see this in other areas of digital advertising. A couple of good examples are if you want to run ads for housing, you're renting apartments, or you are running ads for a job placement, different platforms will actually limit how granular you can target because they don't want people to discriminate whenever they are trying to rent property or get people to apply for a job. Also, when these ads are being served, there is usually an approval process to make sure that the messaging follows standards set out by the platforms. So not all ads are created equal, not all targeting parameters are created equal, and location data should follow the same suit, especially in digital advertising. It is not all created equal. And each POI, each type of location should be treated differently depending on the purpose of it. That's really interesting. I didn't know, actually, that ad platforms had those kind of restrictions in place. And I'm glad to hear it's a bit of anti-discrimination measures to level the playing field as much as possible. That's that's really good to hear because you hear about, you know, Cambridge Analytica and some of these micro-targetings and you kind of assume you could ratchet down to say, you know, military members with cancer or something and target these groups that would be really inappropriate. So it's interesting to hear that the ad platforms already have that built in, but that location data isn't necessarily there yet. Is that something you see coming in the near future? Yes, absolutely. 
I think we will likely see some regulation around this. I know it is already being discussed in the US. So the assumption is Canada will follow suit as well. But starting to provide some clear guidelines around areas where location should be collected, areas that it can be collected and is deemed sensitive and can only be used in certain situations, and then areas where it's okay to collect it because it's a public space. So really starting to put rules and start to categorize locations, I think will be something that will start to come kind of down the pipeline sooner than later here. Mm-hmm. I think Rain Barrel's ahead of the game on that already, right? Like you're saying you, you don't even record that. If, if someone's device pulls a location in one of these sensitive areas, that's not something that Rain Barrel retains. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So we look at uh, an organization called the NAI who provide a lot of guidelines around location data, how it should and shouldn't be used. We also internally have created a list of locations that we deem as sensitive. And we essentially treat these locations as a blacklist in our data set. So it's not even a matter of us not using that data. Whenever a data point comes in that's connected to one of these locations we deemed as sensitive, we delete it. We don't even store it. So it's something we don't even keep in our database because we believe it has no purpose for an advertising context. Excellent. I, you know, I really appreciate that in terms of encoding values into the technology and, and saying simply, you know, we, we won't allow this sort of behavior or this sort of thing isn't even an option, right? It's not that uh, you can even let advertisers pay more money to access those sensitive areas. It's simply deleted and not available. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that location and digital advertising can be a touchy subject. So what we really strive for is to be as transparent as possible in what we do and how we do it, because we believe consumers should have the choice. We only use consented data, but we also allow users to withdraw that consent at any point not only at the app level, but on our website as well. So we make sure that consumers know what's going on, how this location data is being collected, how it's being used, the safeguards we have in place, because it's really important that this practice is more known and and not operating in in the shadows like it has in the past. Mm -hmm. And so with the decline of cookies and, and the rise of location data, what do you see as the future of mobile and digital advertising? What do you see emerging over the next three to five years? As I mentioned early, earlier on, there's going to be a lot more kind of first-party data strategies, that data that's collected directly between an advertiser and their customers. A good example of that is when you shop on Amazon. When Amazon decides to advertise to you, They know where you live. They know your mailing address. They know everything you've purchased in the past. They know the products you view. So they have a pretty deep level of understanding. The challenge with first-party data, it's limited. You can only speak to your customer base. It's a little bit of an echo chamber. So it's hard to grow your business, reach new people, reach people who may be similar to your existing customers. So with cookies going away, we actually see 
location data remaining pretty important and potentially becoming more important. Location can be treated as a contextual signal. It's not used to target people on a one-to-one basis, which is really the crux of a lot of privacy regulation. Regulators don't like instances where people are being targeted as individuals one-to-one. But with location, if you put all the Walmarts in North America together to target Walmart shoppers, you're talking about millions, if not tens of millions of people. When you're looking at audience sizes that large, people aren't treated as individuals. You're treated as part of a group. You're in a cohort. And we're kind of seeing that similar cohort idea being applied to online behavior as well. So instead of reaching people on a one-to-one basis, putting everyone together who's been to a soccer website or putting everyone together who's been to a grocery store website. So location-based targeting can kind of follow that path as well and really start to treat these audiences as cohorts as opposed to to individuals, which is privacy for Thank you, Travis. You know, it's been great having you here and hearing all about the different ways in which location data is used in the advertising industry. You know, as a recipient of advertising, I'm really glad to hear that privacy is on the rise in mobile and digital advertising. So thank you very much for that. Yes, thank you very much for having me. This is the Nowhere Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Neufeld. You can find Nowhere at NowherePodcast.com, on Twitter at Nowhere underscore pod, and you can find me at John underscore Neufeld. See you later.